earthlings. earthlings. <laughs> earthlings. We come in peace. We come in peace. <laughs> Who are we? Uh, we're. What did we become? We're two girls, one ghost. Two. Wait. I just totally messed it up for you. I know. It just felt natural for me to say it, so I said it. Okay, this is the one one time I'll do the whisper, and then uh, what if it jinx us? Okay, this is two girls, one ghost. One ghost. (laughs) How dare you, Sabrina? (laughs) And I am Sabrina, and that is Corinne, and we are your ghostesses. (laughs) I'm backwards today. I've turned inside out. I don't know what. Up, Is it because down? we tried to invert our videos on Zoom? Maybe. Maybe. That, maybe <gasps> that's what where we went wrong. I inverted into another universe where everything is yes. upside down and backwards. Lovely. Well, here we go. We're fine. Everything's You're fine. You're going on vacation tomorrow. This. Yeah, yeah. I'm so jealous. <clears throat> Take me with you. I'm going to the Caribbean. This is a a COVID family trip replanned. My parents had planned a family trip we hadn't been on one for years and we were supposed to go april 2020 to aruba and we were all so excited aren't i family and at this course, point why wasn't i invited <laughs> honestly you're not the first person who's said that to me today <laughs> <laughs> okay so i don't have any new ideas i guess everything i say someone else has said already <laughs> no no i think maybe just like you know when you're with us your family the vn family it's all yeah. Deb and Bill okay, are so mamas and papas of all of the everyone. All here. of the everyone. So that means that I can show all up of the and everyone. that's welcomed. Yeah, okay, exactly. Perfect. Well, we're going to St. John, which I've actually been to before. So, okay. We're staying at the Westin and it's this like really beautiful, like super bougie. I'm like, Jesus, I feel like Beyonce. <laughs> like, what? We're going to the Westin? So we're we're going there. But I actually have a little bit of – I have this phobia of the Westin only because of like four, four years ago, I went on this like budget trip to St. John. With your family? At Airbnb. No, no, no. With with my – I call them the Williston boys. Like the, the guys that I grew up with that I've known since I was like five. Uh, we had this like little pack and posse all through middle school, high school, and we're still friends. So at the time, my friend Nate had worked in St. Thomas. And before he transferred back into the continental US for work, we all went down to go visit him and like got an Airbnb and all of us hung out for like four days or five days or whatever. So anyway, point being, our Airbnb was about like – maybe eight doors down from the West End. And so we would get in the like slimy, murky water <laughs> on the side and pirate in. Like we, we would like swim on mean, rafts. Pirate like in? What does that mean? We would get into the water, put our like phones and sunscreen and everything in bags, hold Stop. them above, like basically drowning, like attempting like backstroke. Here's the thing. I don't like seaweed. <laughs> so everyone else did this. But I sat in a tube and made everyone drag oh, me. Oh like, my oh, no. gosh. This story just keeps getting better. Corinne. Okay, so we, we did it twice. We pirated illegally into the Westin to use their facilities because it's nice. And so we, and yeah. Anyway, we were we were poor. We were like barely scraping by there. So you know, we're, like, we're going to go we pirate into the pool. So we get to the pool and we're all hanging out. We're having a great time. We're not supposed to be there. So we're like not trying to be like too obnoxious or draw attention. Uh-huh. We're like not charging anything to our room like everyone else is. <laughs> we're already nervous that we're going to get caught. And then we're sitting in the pool and there's this island in the middle of the pool where there's seats and then there's some vegetation. What I did not know was that there was an iguana approaching me as I sat up on this like pool bench with my little pina colada or my painkiller, whatever I had. And that iguana saw me and it said, I hate that girl. <gasps> and it bit, bit, bit my finger and I bled. I yelped. I was like, ah! 
It bit your finger? It freaking attacked me. You were attacked by an iguana. That iguana should have gone to jail. Yes. It slit open my fingers, Sabrina. Like, I was, like, pouring (gasps) blood into the pool. So then, of course, I have to, like, mope up to the the pool attendant and be like, do you have any news? I'm sorry. I'm stuck. We need to go back. I didn't know iguanas were violent. He's a he's a male iguana. I'm calling. He, he bit me. He, I I don't even know. I'm shocked. I didn't know iguanas are violent. And okay, why I did it they bite are. you? I'm scared of them. Here's and my how theory. big was it? I have a lot of questions. It was pretty big. It was a okay, big like boy. size wise. It was like the length of half my body if you stretched <gasps> it all out. Oh. Which I guess their tails are long, but it was it was big. It wasn't like a pet. So iguana. you got bit by a dragon. Like it That's wasn't what like I'm Pascal say. from yeah. No, I, I literally got bit by a dragon. Gone are my dreams of like living with dragons. No, I hate I hate them. Well, they hate they hate you. So (laughs) seems to be mutual. But in their defense, although I'm saying that I hate them and I'm mad at them (laughs) and they hate me, my nail polish was a kind of like corally bright reddish color. And my theory is that people feed them the maraschino cherries from their drink. And I think my nail polish and like the size of my fingy looked like a snack a maraschino <laughs> like a you little snack. snack you're a snack yeah so well it could be flattering I'm, do you see my nails leaving tomorrow bare nails <laughs> you learned your lesson bare. <laughs> i'm like oh vacation get my nails done not if i'm gonna be around iguanas so did you get caught for, sure. for not staying at the hotel no or they just helped you no they came to your aid they just helped me perhaps they were nervous that i would sue them that's always my theory when someone helps me and they shouldn't have. I'm like, they probably were nervous that I was going to say I've never been no, in a position I don't think they actually knew. where someone's helped me when they shouldn't have. If anything, they just ignore me. So can't relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Help me, actually, I'm invisible. See, uh, you're not invisible, Sabrina. I see you. And so does everyone else here. How are you invisible? We no one can see us here. No phantoms. one can see us here. Because we're just audio. To this right now. That's true. There is a long-running theory that you are the ghost in Two Girls Podcast. If we didn't have live shows, maybe okay, but but now like there's maybe you weren't at the live show. Maybe you were one of those like projections. What are they called? Hologram. Those like hologram. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Those like fancy like xenon things. Holograms is pretty cool. I would like to be a hologram. I bet in our lifetime we're gonna start hologramming in places. That would be so I cool if it. we wouldn't it? When you like call someone instead of FaceTiming, it's you hologram and then I pop up kind of Star Wars style in front of you. But I want it full would form, be, not like the little ones. I, I want to be taking up space in your home. Oh gosh. No, I want little pocket ones. I want to balance you on top of on top a of a pocket things. hologram, <laughs> a pocket Sabrina. Oh a pocket Sabrina. Wouldn't that be so cute? Oh, Sabrina, that would be so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed. All right. I'll put you in my little tea light, like votive candle holders, <gasps> and you could just hang there. But then what if I can't I'm, get like, out? Pretending, and I like just... you would know you're there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. New invention. We're TM. chock full of them. <laughs> I'm like, what's it called? Hologram? Oh, we're inventing that. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, we're inviting or inventing. I, we can. I don't. We can. We're inviting. We're inviting, we're inviting other inventors <laughs> yeah. to invent this for to be us. Honest, Thank yes, you. there's no way we could possibly ever create it because we don't have the <laughs> mental capacity. Here's the thing. I'm all. I'm all for confidence and for believing I'm smart, but I also know my limits, and that is a big limit. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not getting anywhere close no. to that. No. No. Nope. But conceptually, we'll it's have very our strengths. Fun. 
Yes. Yes. We can we can dream it up. We can talk about it on our podcast. Which exactly. is what we're doing. This is exactly That's what our this version. platform is for. For us to create things that will never actually come into fruition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you hear this construction? I do. It's pretty loud. What are they doing? Giving me a headache? I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> Sabrina, you always have construction outside of your apartment. It's very There's loud. always someone mowing the lawn or, or someone doing construction. <laughs> Literally always. I feel like this is proof that I'm going to be a curmudgeon old woman. I feel like that goes with your aesthetic, though. <laughs> like the houses that you are picking out and that you send me, like it, it goes with your vibe. Yeah, that's what I'm going for grumpy invisible old woman who it's like i'm the it's lady monster house. Uh, yeah i'm the lady that people make up rumors about on the street like i heard she's right. a witch i heard she curses people yeah and you have your like sticks and you're like get away yeah. from my lawn yeah. no one you dare all the kids dare each other to, to like jump my over doorbell. the fence to retreat yeah or like get the frisbee retrieve the ball you just have like a bunch of them in I your just yard. Have spikes, but then you're actually in my backyard, person. and all of the toys like deflate. Oh, okay, yeah, I can be nice. I mean, but that's the rumors about right. you. Right, I was gonna lean in, but oh, see, I thought I had a different narrative where like all of this was happening around you, but then it comes out in the movie. That's, that's about <laughs> now you. it's a movie, yeah, of course. <laughs> that like the neighborhood kids actually do have to help you, and they realize that you're nice, and the reason you have all these traps around is because you're saving the town from all of the monsters and the right. ghosts. You're keeping them in your house, and when they try to escape, they get trapped in the booby traps oh, around your yard. Okay, yeah, it's very Ghostbusters. You're the Ghostkeeper. Truly Ghostbusters. I did just watch. This is Me basically too. the plot of the newest it Ghostbusters, but I did just watch yeah. it. It's so good. It is though. really good. It's so good. I love it. Love Paul Rudd. Oh, same. Can't go wrong. Well, enough about me being a curmudgeon old lady, which I will one day hope to fulfill as my uh, future. We have an exciting topic this week. And you gave a preview at Green yeah. Room. So I know that you're about to talk about a kind of curmudgeon yeah, lady yourself. <laughs> yes. And I was, I meant to keep this a secret from Corinne because if you all remember, a while back, Corinne went to Charleston and visited the old Charleston jail and talked yeah. all about your experiences and like had such It was the most haunted a, place I've yes. ever been. Yeah. I, and it is. It has such a reputation. There's so much that happened there. There are so many criminals and like bad people who were there. And so when I started researching this topic, I was jazzed and I did not want to tell you because I wanted to surprise you with it. And then we went on to Green Room. What, now, like, probably two weeks ago when this episode comes out? And yeah. the very first listener we brought up on stage goes, I have a story for you about Lavinia Fisher. And I was like, excuse me? Girl says what? Surprise, Surprise ruined, ruined by whom? But it's, but it's fine because I just – I mean, I feel – I don't want to say like I love Lavinia Fisher because I don't. She's not a good person. But I love talking about stories like Lavinia yes. Fisher because they're just so fascinating. So I feel like I could hear a million stories about her and still learn new facts or still be really excited to hear it. Yeah. So don't worry, Sabrina. I'm I'm You're here. I too am jazz. Jazz fingers. Jazz hands today. And okay, no, I am excited too because there's so much information about Lavinia Fisher out there that people don't actually that are that is incorrect. So I'm excited to tell her tale. And oh, okay. Just so everyone knows and can catch up to where we are because we forgot to tell you, 
This episode's theme is true crime. So hauntings based on crime, true crime. You know what I realized is we always are like, oh no, we forgot to tell you the theme. It's in the episode description and and the title. Like people kind of know, yeah. I think. Maybe sometimes, unless you're just like kind of letting the podcasts go through and and it just yeah onto the yeah. next yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's our true crime crossover yes. into the paranormal. Yes. Hey, just as a trigger warning, as we get into this episode, we are discussing true crime, so it involves murder and some gruesome, darker, more R-rated topics. So please be advised as you listen to the rest of this episode. Okay, I'm going to paint a picture for you. Okay. <laughs> it's early in the morning. Humidity is thick in the air. It is going to be a very hot day in Charleston, South Carolina, even though the day is February 18th, 1820. Townspeople are gathering just outside of the old Charleston jail, awaiting the execution of some of the worst criminals to ever grace the world, John and Lavinia Fisher. Oh, I got chills. <laughs> 27-year-old Lavinia Fisher is escorted out of the Old City Jail, making her last living appearance, and she was going to use it to make a statement. Out Lavinia walks in her wedding dress. She stands by the entrance and refuses to walk to the gallows. She just stands there, looking out at the crowd, standing her ground with wild eyes. The prison guards had to physically pick her up and carry her to the gallows, she screams, she rants, she raves. Lavinia is not going to go easily. She's spitting vile words at the crowd of townspeople that are gathered there to watch her die. The people who she thinks turned their back on her and convicted her of crimes that she claimed she did not commit. As the guards are slipping the noose around her neck, Lavinia knows the end is near. She turns to the crowd silently and deliberately. She looks at them and spoke her final words. If you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. <laughs> and then before the guards could pull the lever, Lavinia supposedly jumped to her death, ridding the Americas of their first supposed female serial killer. Or so people thought, because this is a ghost podcast and thus Lavinia has stayed on this earthly plane and her ghost lives on. First question. Yes. How did she get her wedding dress when she's in jail? That will be one of the myths that I will later talk about. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> So let's go back to the beginning. The story of Lavinia Fisher has become victim to what we will call a game of telephone and a lot of exaggeration over the years. There is so much unknown. And while she was convicted and hanged for criminal activities, there are a lot of people today who question whether or not Lavinia actually committed the crime she was executed for. But more on that later. Okay. Lavinia Fisher was born sometime in 1793, but... All of the specifics are completely lost to history. So what day or where, no one knows. It probably exists somewhere in records, but sadly doesn't seem to be anything anyone could find out. I searched multiple birth record sites and they all came up with zero results because no one knows her maiden name. Lavinia Fisher is the name she took because she met John Fisher and that's his last name. Mm. And even her upbringing in life before she met and married John Fisher are completely mysterious. Like no one knows. I'm sure there are records somewhere. Maybe you have to go to... The Charleston, I don't know, record place, the, uh, <laughs> what's it called? <laughs> the library? The town hall? I don't know. I don't know, wherever. Town hall? Yeah. yeah. They're probably somewhere. Somewhere. Wherever. But I couldn't find much online. And like even all the articles that talk about Lavinia and John, it just starts when their crimes start. Like their stories always start mm. then and that's it. It's so hard because they didn't keep a ton of records back then. It's not like yeah. someone had, you know, years of Facebook posts that you could be like, "Where? what right. were they up to before this? 
Right. But it is a bummer because it's like, I feel like we know so much information about like historical political people, but we don't know anything about, I feel like people have just wanted to hold on to her being this like criminal and almost demonic, not demonic in that way, but like this devilish figure in history rather than taking the time to get to know who she was. And I feel like we have such a psychological approach to both the paranormal and to people where we just want to understand where they came from and what happened to them to understand why they are the way they are, what they did in their lives. But I didn't, I wasn't able to do that with her. So that's okay. That's okay. What we do know is that Lavinia spent most of her life in the United States. And at some point she met John, married him. And then in the early 1800s, the two of them opened an inn called the Six Mile Wayfarer House, which was just six miles outside of Charleston, South Carolina, which was named aptly because it was six miles outside of downtown Charleston. So Lavinia and John are really well known in the town. They make frequent visits to Charleston. And during this time, Charleston was a thriving metropolis. It had the second largest population in the United States, New York City being the largest. And the majority of its population were black, both free and enslaved. It was a time of change in the city, but as was true for many cities in this time, the wealth was accumulated, and I guess probably still now, the wealth was accumulated by a small few who made up the elite of the society. So the top 4% controlled most of the wealth in Charleston, and then everyone else was pretty much struggling to get along. Charleston was a port city and a center of commerce for ships, wagons, and traveling goods. So between the commerce market, the racial class, and economic tensions, Charleston was ripe for pickpocketing and robbery. It also meant a lot of people coming and going, so you would hardly notice if someone disappeared. So what better place to rob travelers than an inn just outside of Charleston, a place that presented as a safe spot to stop and rest before continuing on in your journey? The Six Mile Wayfarer House was this perfect place. It was for people who were heading or leaving Charleston, And Lavinia and John Fisher presented as this nice, quaint, simple living couple who owned the inn. They were so kind, they'd even offer their guests a warm meal and a piping hot cup of tea. But as the guests sipped on their tea, they would be surprised at how sleepy it made them. Perhaps it was the long day of travel or work that they had just had. Or perhaps it was the poisonous oleander plant that Lavinia had so sneakily and kindly Mm. slipped into the tea. Definitely that one. Or this just always reminds me of not, it can't even be a spoiler alert because the show, <laughs> it's so, at this point, you had years mm-hmm. to watch this. But the last, isn't it the last season of Dexter where the woman is poisoning people oh, with she's oleander? she's like a plant poisoner, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of. That's the way I would do it. It's got like a Sweeney Todd vibe to it too. It's like, yeah, come, totally. relax, let me shave you and then cut your neck open and. La, 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 la. Right. It's like super unsuspecting. Yes. It, it like takes on the appearance of care. Yes. But it's really murder. Yes. Pretty twisted. It's very twisted. As the story goes, this long stretch of road, the six miles between Charleston and the six mile Wayfarer house was a popular area for gangsters and robbers, aka highwaymen, to rob travelers. Since Charleston was such a rich and opulent trading center, many of these travelers would have lots of cash or valuable goods on them. And it was believed that Lavinia and John Fisher made a deal with these highwaymen that they could use the six-mile house to lure travelers in and then rob them there. It is said that John and Lavinia devised a very evil plan. They would have guests stay the night. Lavinia would greet them. And she was this beautiful, charismatic woman who was very charming 
And she would show interest in the traveler's work. She would ask them questions over tea, her infamous tea. She'd chat them Mm -hmm. up, make them feel special, and they'd start to feel tired and excuse themselves and go to their rooms to go to sleep. Little did they know that they weren't just tired. They were poisoned. They would pass out, and then Lavinia and John would slip into their rooms and rob them of their possessions. It is believed that some travelers overdosed dying from the poisonous tea, but those who did not were violently murdered. And here's okay, there's already a lot of places in here that like lore and kind of exaggeration has come into play with this story. Mm-hmm. But here is where it really ramps up and has okay. Uh, it's a, a wonderful story. Don't get me wrong. I love the drama, but it's <laughs> not necessarily true. Okay. So it's said that John or Lavinia would stab the still alive victims to death. And some records claim that Lavinia would crush their heads between her thighs. Yes, girl. <laughs> I have long said if I, I know if I just got an attacker between my thighs, that <laughs> motherfucker is done. I who can get out of that grasp? No, no one. one. I literally thighs wrote, is steel. I, I literally wrote in my notes, Corinne is going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> because I think yeah, I, was, I could do that too. I've heard you say it before. It's the murder clutch. The murder clutch. <laughs> just mm. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know why I made that kegels, noise. but with your because is that what that's it sounds the noise like? you need to make when you're doing it's like the it. tennis yeah, run your energy the, the thigh clutch the thigh crusher ooh Pew. that's your your new nickname that's if I ever get into like WWE <laughs> which is, <laughs> is very possible the, I mean I I feel the like thigh you'd be good. crusher <laughs> coming in at five foot three. <laughs> Too many pounds to count. The thigh crusher. The crowd goes wild. (laughs) Why is she nude? (laughs) Why not? She's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I digress. We digress. Okay. (laughs) So the legend continues. She's crushing heads with her thighs. And then it is also said that the Fishers installed a trap doors in the guest rooms that were under the beds. So they would kill the, these victims and they would open up the trap doors. The bodies would drop into the cellar below, which then made it easier for the Fishers to then dispose of the bodies. Over time, the legend warped even further to say that Lavinia would open the trap door as the guests were drifting off to sleep and they'd fall into the cellar where sharp, teethy spikes awaited them and they'd be skewered to death. Again, very dramatized. It is believed that guests would stumble upon the inn on their journeys to and from Charleston. And other times, Lavinia would go to Charleston and flirt with travelers in town and tell them about the Six Mile House. Like saying, ooh, you should stay on your way out. I'd love to see you again. That's my interpretation of flirting because mm-hmm. I have and she flirted was, a lot. she was very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I have flirted I, a lot. I, I know how to flirt. Hello. I guess the benefit of meeting your husband in college is like you don't really have to flirt in college. Everyone just kind of is drunk. Wanders around each other drunkenly. And it is we what just, it like, is. just like bash heads and all of a sudden you're making out and we don't know what happened. And Next thing you know, you're married. <laughs> it's like instead of hugging and getting pregnant you bash heads and get married (laughs) yeah that's how it works so anyway lavinia's sexy she's a hot lady men wanted to see her again too so after she would invite them a lot of them would come check out the inn on the way out after robbing and killing the travelers it is said that john and lavinia would dispose of the bodies along their property and under the building itself they would then split the treasures with the other highwaymen they worked with so 
all of this is supposedly happening 1820s or early 1800s, 1815 through 1820. There's no real way to confirm it, but what is true is that so many people were being robbed around this time, and so many people were disappearing that the people of Charleston were like, something is happening. There's this common thread. We're starting to notice, and Mm -hmm. we have a fear that if this continues, the reputation of Charleston is going to go down the gutter. And they did not want that. So in February of 1819, or specifically February 19th of 1819, a mob of vigilantes decided to take matters into their own hands. They followed the road to outside of Charleston toward the Six Mile House and set out to stop the highwaymen from destroying the city. They stopped at different places along the road trying to find out who was responsible. They came upon the Six Mile House and ordered everyone on the premises to exit the building so they could search it. At this time, Lavinia and John Fisher were not present at the Six Mile House. But also, a lot of people from the mob knew Lavinia and John Fisher. That They were friends. They had communicated with them in town. They they were buddies. They knew each other. So they were searching the place, but they had already convinced themselves that their friends were innocent. They're like, there's no way good old John and Lavinia are robbing and killing people. No way. So sure enough, they don't find anything suspicious. But since John and Lavinia weren't there at the time— they, the mob left one man named David Ross behind to basically like wait for them and then also see if like the highwaymen do happen upon the six mile house while they're further down the road. So David's waiting and unbeknownst to him, does he know that his friends were the robbers? So one of the Fisher's mm. henchmen, William Hayward, shows up to the six mile house and is furious and knows that this mob is looking for them and he becomes really aggressive with Ross and Basically, is like, you got to leave, but he says it with his fist. And oh. then John and Lavinia arrive and return just as this, like, kind of confrontation is happening. And I'm sure the specifics here are very vague because as it goes, John joins in on the beating and beats up David Ross. My God. And David Ross is like, what the heck? And he looks to his friend, Lavinia, and she just kind of, like, stares and watches it and – then David's having this massive realization like, oh, shit, I don't know them at all. They are the highwaymen we've been looking for. They're the robbers. Oh, oh my God. Can you imagine the fear that he must have felt? I know. To have that realization like when you're going through it and when you're already – like he's already being beaten. Yeah. He doesn't have an advantage. Like he's realizing it too, too late. late. Far too late. There's also a version of the story where he realizes it when Lavinia is thrusting his head through a window pane. Oh, so, God. Lavinia is a strong woman. Got to give her credit. Yeah, there. I was just going to say, how, how strong <laughs> was she? Muscle lady. Well, she, me versus her, WWE. Oh, next matchup. No, I would lose. <laughs> I know that. She's the masterful. You just thr- bow down to her. I'm just copying her. Yeah. Yeah. You are the original. <laughs> okay, so Ross somehow, I don't know how, was able to flee his attackers. He escapes the Six Mile House. And he runs off. I don't know where he goes. Basically, a lot of events start happening in very close proximity to each other. So I think Ross is somehow recovering. He's going to the authorities. This is happening. At the same time, a man named John Peoples arrives to the Six Mile House. And he's like, I need to water my horses and rest my haunches. I just had a long journey from Georgia and I'm heading to Charleston. I'm going to stay the night here. This place looks lovely. And he's warmly greeted by Lavinia, who informed him that unfortunately at that time they did not have a room available, but that she could provide him with a warm meal and some tea. Mm. 
Which I would always, I love tea. <laughs> I would always say yes to tea. I can't imagine a scenario where I would well, say no. Well, maybe after this, you'll second guess your tea t- consumption. Like, can I watch you make the tea and then you take a sip? Mm, you drink yes. half of the tea first? Please have some first. <laughs> Mom, I will not take your tea. <laughs> Nick, I will not take your tea. <laughs> say no to tea 2022. <laughs> <laughs> the new dare the new campaign. Uh, <laughs> so Lavinia does her thing. She's engaging. She's asking a lot of questions of John Peoples. And John is, you know, taking to her, but he can't help have this weird feeling because he can tell that Lavinia and John Fisher are married. But Lavinia is like totally flirting with him. And then John Fisher is kind of lurking around corners, looking, listening to them. And he's like, something's off. Lavinia gives. He probably him, was like, they must swing. Yeah. Like maybe they're maybe they're looking for a third party. Yeah. Spice it like, up. I don't know. Where do I fit in here? <laughs> so Lavinia offers him a cup of tea. He takes it, but he also doesn't really like tea. And almost the exact moment Lavinia hands him the tea, John Fisher comes in and is like, "Great news! A room has suddenly." And miraculously opened up for you. Please stay the night now. And John is just like, oh, what a weird coincidence. Okay. But so he doesn't really like tea. He's kind of feeling weird. He doesn't want to be rude about not drinking the tea. So as Lavinia and John are like doing something else, he dumps the tea out. Mm. But John and Lavinia are none the wiser. So they're showing him to his room. They think he's drank all his tea. And they are waiting for the tea to kick in. But people's was not going to fall asleep. And sure enough, the Fishers broke into his room and were shocked to see him awake. They still try to rob him, but Peoples fled through the open window. He takes off on his horse down the six-mile road heading into Charleston, and the Fishers send their henchmen after him. They rob John Peoples at gunpoint, but again, somehow Peoples gets away. So it kind of seems like the Fishers have fallen apart at this point. They've now let two men get away from them after they've shown their true colors, probably within 24 hours. So as you can tell... Tension must have been high. Yep. Things are not going well for them. And John Peoples and David Ross both go to the authorities, and the authorities are like, let's get them. So William Hayward, which is one of the henchmen of the Fishers, John Fisher and Lavinia Fisher were arrested the very next day. It is said that upon searching the property, the sheriff found multiple stolen goods, and depending on the story you read, they also found numerous bodies. But there's one version of the tale, probably part of the historical telephone game, states that the six-mile house was filled with hidden passages, the lace tea, trap doors, and in the basement, there were hundreds of remains. What's more likely is that they just found stolen goods, and that's it. There is one report that states that they did unearth Two bodies just beyond the six-mile house property a few days after the Fishers were arrested. One was the body of a white male who had been shot around the time that the mob of vigilantes raided the house. And the next remains belonged to a young black woman whose body was placed there two years prior. And neither could be 100% connected to the Fishers. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I feel so bad for them. I wonder what – not – I mean, maybe for the Fishers. I don't know. Fishy Fishers. but. I feel bad for the people whose His bodies, whose bodies were, were nearby. Yeah. Yes. So either way, John, Lavinia, and William, and a couple others that were now connected to the highwaymen robbers, are taken to the old city jail in Charleston to await trial. Wait, also, yes. I just had a realization. Like, the beginning of this story starts with them potentially becoming suspects or, like, eventually becoming suspects because all these people are be- going, like, missing and murdered. Yes. Where the fuck are all the other bodies? Yes. 
See, there are a lot of loophole or a lot of um holes, not loopholes, just holes. Straight just holes. holes. But also like where wide. are they? <laughs> like where in the world did they go? I don't know. I mean, again, have they not been uncovered? It, it, and then this also might be another part of the telephone game where it's like maybe it wasn't, maybe people weren't going missing and it was just the robberies. I don't know. Je ne sais quoi. Anyway, they're in jail <laughs> awaiting trial, and the townspeople are so furious with the Fishers that after the sheriff searched the six mile house, townspeople set the house ablaze, burning it and all of the Fishers' possessions to the ground. So there are a lot of things that I'm like, okay, the whole like trap doors, the secret tunnels, all of those, there's truly no way to know if the, those actually existed because the house was burnt down. Mm. Like there's no way now to like go back in time and like actually find right. out. And it's not like there's blueprints so of the odd. house. Yeah. I mean, I guess like there are people and pretty famous cases of people creating these like death pits and trap doors and, and whatnot. But it just feels odd for a group of people to do it that I guess like don't have a ton of money already. Yeah. And it is pretty medieval, like Very. the spears that people fall upon and that the bed like, you know, releases them into it's like Sweeney a death Todd. pit. And it it yeah, super is. Yeah. It just makes me think that they whatever crimes they were committing, because I'm sure they were committing some, even if it wasn't murder, it just got blown out of proportion because it was still evil. Like and and I think the same way we were talking about me being the old curmudgeonly lady that kids have stories all about that I'm evil. Like uh, stories grow out of like a seed and then it becomes so much bigger. Mm -hmm. Anywho. The Fishers were charged with common assault and assault with the intent to murder. The charge was later changed to highway robbery. So no murder. There's no murder charge. The Fishers were set to be tried separately, and they were to take most of the blame for the robberies. But as Lavinia and John await their trial, they are kept in the same cell together. For some reason, officials thought it was smart to put these two people who are known to come up with conniving schemes in the same jail cell. And keep in mind, Corinne, you'll hate this, and I'm sure you learned about it on the tour. This jail had no running water. The mm -hmm. floor was covered in wood chips, which served as the bedding and the toilet. It was overpopulated and dirty. There were insects and rodents aplenty. There was just overrun with inmates and terrible rodents, basically. Yeah. And the guards were also known to be violent. So it just all to say that this was not a pleasant place to be. And John and Lavinia go, they're in there starting like February of 1819. And their trial or their hearing is not supposed to be until January of 1820. So they're like, we're going to spend nearly a year here, which they don't want to do. And I don't blame them. So John and Lavinia, along with another inmate, begin collecting linens and slowly begin to build a rope. As they're doing that, they also slowly start digging a hole underneath the window. And finally, on September 13th, the trio was ready to enact their grand escape plan. John and the accomplice used the rope to lower themselves to the ground. And of course, they went first, leaving Lavinia to go last. And as John is going, the rope snaps, meaning Lavinia was stuck behind. Mm. According to the story, John and the accomplice take off, which I'm sure Lavinia was pissed at. And according to the story, John was super distraught that he and the accomplice ended up staying in Charleston, hiding and trying to come up with a plan to free Lavinia. But they were caught before they could figure out. And then they were put back in the jail and kept under strict surveillance. I just kind of don't understand where they dug the hole or how they dug the hole. Because to my memory, this place is like brick and stone. It's not like 
chipping away at wood. It would be very difficult. I'm thinking yeah. Shawshank I mean, I Redemption. I guess people do yeah. break out of jail. Yeah. yeah. So it does happen. Yeah. But dang. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive the amount of work that had to go into it. And I guess too, like if you're in a pack of three and there's all these rumors about you already and you're like viewed as maybe one of the most dangerous yeah. of the people in there and there's like a team of three of you then maybe you would kind of be left alone and people wouldn't tattletale on you. Yeah. People would like leave you be to chip away and spend a lot of time trying right. to escape. I also imagine it was chaos. Like I just, I I imagine there was so much happening all the time that it was probably easy right. for one person to be secretly doing something. And if it's so and overcrowded. And I'm sure people were like so sick that, yeah. so many people were so sick that they could probably barely even. Comprehend what was think. happening. Yeah. Yeah. So they're put back in the old city jail, and on January 17th of 1820, John and Lavinia are finally convicted of their crimes. They are found guilty of assault and intent to murder David Ross and highway robbery against John Peoples. Highway robbery was a capital crime at the time, and thus they were sentenced to death. John turned to God, searching for redemption, and Lavinia turned to fury. So on February 18th of 1820, the two were walked to the gallows. Legend says that Lavinia wore her wedding gown, but like I said in the beginning, it's probably lore because the house, the six-mile house, and all of their belongings were burnt down, so I don't know how she would have retrieved her wedding dress, nor do I imagine that they would have granted her allowance to wear her wedding dress. I don't know. Right. So what is true, though, is that she did have to be carried to the gallows, and her last words were indeed, if you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me, I'll carry it, (laughs) which I think, chef's kiss. Badass. Badass. Lavinia and John Fisher died that day, but their story lives on. Lavinia went on to live in infamy as the first female serial killer in the United States, even though they never were convicted of murder. Lavinia was buried in a potter's field near the Old City Jail, and it is said that her spirit is still roaming there. She's been spotted in the Old City Jail, and Crin, you'll have to confirm it for me. But I read that people are recommended, especially women, to remove or cover their jewelry prior to entering the Old City Jail because Lavinia is known to fancy, fancy things, And we'll try to take them from visitors. Is that true? Did they tell you that? I honestly can't remember, but I do know that people have seen her often. And Mm -hmm. I remember the exact room that she was in. And I I think I have pictures. We could probably post them. I swear I have pictures of the actual jail cell that she was in. Oh, that's cool. We'll definitely have to post them. Yeah, we'll look back. Tourists claim to see her smirking face pop out of the walls and stare right into their eyes. Men seem to take the full brunt of Lavinia's wrath with scratches and other physical manifestations. Ghost Adventures did an episode at the Charleston Jail and claimed to have communicated with Lavinia. They also claimed that she clawed at one of their cameras. It is said that Lavinia is furious, and not only does she feel like she was wrongly executed, but things took a more macabre turn in August of 1922, which only infuriated Lavinia's spirit further because, believe this or not, the Charleston Museum supposedly launched a display of Lavinia's skeleton, advertising it in the local paper, and they dug up her bones to display in the museum without permission. So they didn't get any permits to do it. I don't know. Why do people do these things? It's awful. And they do it. It, Also, like, how do you know it's even Lavinia's bones? I don't know. Anyway, they... You're just asking for a curse. So, and, and then... People apparently were coming from all over the place to go visit Lavinia's skeleton, and then they would spit on it, they would poke it, they would curse it, and just totally disrespect her remains. 
The museum wow. was forced to remove her skeleton because it was deemed inappropriate. Yeah, duh. I could have told you that. <laughs> and <sighs> who? I wonder who made them do that, though. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's illegal to grave rob. True. So I just want to know, like, when things went into effect. Like, who was the person that was like, yo, we should probably interfere I don't know. here. I wonder if her spirit, like, acted up, too. I, I don't blame her. I don't know. Right. It sounds like it went on for a long time, though. Like, the fact that people were able to, like, visit and, like, spit on it and do all this stuff. It wasn't just, like, a one day and, like, oh, we, we made, made a mistake. mistake. Yeah. I mean, also, they had enough time. Like, they advertised it and then it happened. I don't know. It's my god it's one of those things where it's like obviously this story that i just shared of lavinia and john is if it happened as the the way it is told today it's horrible and what they did is monstrous but if it's the version where like it's been blown out of proportion and she maybe they robbed a couple people but they never murdered anyone the treatment that she has been given and it was given feels so extreme and i do have sympathy and empathy for that but that was everyone yeah like, that was everyone in the jail. Yes. And there were people in the jail who were mentally and physically handicapped who did no crime right. at all. And they suffered the same treatment, yeah. if not worse. Like, there was one person who, I, if I'm remembering correctly, he was mentally handicapped and 14 years old and basically, like, put into, like, a black box, like, closet and just oh. kept there. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> and he no. is still seen like his spirit is seen like crawling around oh because he like didn't have movement like he didn't have space to move and he oh, oh that's it's just so, so sad. sad so yeah i mean it's it's sad all around the way that any of the inmates were treated regardless of their their crimes yeah. but yes. there were people that did absolutely nothing who suffered worse than she Ugh. did too oh that makes me so mad not to say that she, what right, she right. went through it was not bad it was atrocious just all around everything was atrocious yeah yeah so there was a reason that jail got shut down yeah and that was extremely haunted <laughs> so on top of all of this Lavinia's story has been – there's so much supposed – believed to be completely manipulated over the years. First of all, she was never tried or convicted of murder. So she isn't actually America's first female serial killer, even though that's – I mean, I don't mean this in a good way, but like, what a cool title. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she is not. And she never actually used poisonous tea or had trapdoors or killed men with her thighs, although impressive if she did. <laughs> Clearly, I, I love that. Ugh. I know I have such mixed feelings. Like I know it's not appropriate to say, but it is. It is impressive. Well, I was also thinking about it. Not to go back to to thigh crushing, but, <laughs> but I, to go. Back I feel to like thigh crushing, of course. Yeah, you know, oftentimes I look at my body and I and I think like I could be thinner. I could lose this fat. But after talking about the thigh crushing, I got really excited about the fact that I do have really strong thigh muscles, yeah. but then like a pretty hefty layer of like thick fat above it. Because I was like, if I ever was in that scenario, the benefit of this is not just that I have the the muscle to like crush, contract and, and crush, yeah. but my the layer of fat would act almost as like memory foam and no one would even be able to bite me. Like they would just like every pocket of their face, every, it would suffocation basically. This is would happen first. the best example of self-love. Yeah, I love my thighs. I now. love my thighs. I have memory foam thighs. <laughs> so, head crushing memory foam thighs. Nice to put your head on. Just don't make me mad or I'll crush There's you. perks to a little bit of fat on our bodies. Yeah. It's true. Just love yourself. I'll survive a famine longer than <laughs> others. <laughs> and that is positivity. 
Okay. So anyway, a lot of people care a lot about this terrifying tale more than about the truth of Lavinia and John Fisher. No one really has looked into Lavinia's upbringing or past. Most of what's actually known about her perhaps is myth. And recently I read an article by this guy who, or I guess he wrote a book, but he theorized that she and John never even committed the robberies at all. It's Oh my a God. book called Six Miles to Charleston, The True Story of John and Lavinia Fisher, written by a former homicide investigator, Bruce Orr, who said that maybe the Fishers were innocent and were actually the victims of political corruption because – False convictions break my heart. I know. And it's hard because like, there's just no way to actually know for fact. But he theorizes that the Fishers were, in quotes, taken care of so that the government could take the Fishers' property and use it to build the new naval base because where the Six Mile House was, where it once stood, is currently the Charleston Naval Hospital. And so it's believed that perhaps the government wanted to use their land to build this hospital and needed to find a way to get rid of them. And so they pinned all of these robberies and everything on them and executed them. You know what sucks? It's like versions of that still happens. Oh, all the time. All over the world. I just can't believe it's it. It's horrific. Ugh, yeah. It really I is. I feel like we're raised to have this belief that like adults and government and authority knows everything and they're right and smart and good. And it's just as we get older, we're realizing, oh my gosh, all of that has just is not true. Right. And even earlier when, when you were saying like that there is so much more history on people who were political figures – from the past versus someone like Lavinia Mm -hmm. and John Fisher. Like even that is really skewed because half of them are written by like themselves, their own journals or people who were like on their team or had some other like prerogative when writing history. And it's, it is really interesting. I feel like now in the days of the internet and TikTok, I get so much more exposure to what other countries learn about us and what they think about us. And it's really eye-opening. And I feel like I've I've learned a lot and like truly believed and absorbed a lot. I don't feel like I'm... This is a very bad example, but I just saw it today. But it is still an example of this. Mountain Dew has been banned from Japan and Europe because it has like an ingredient that's used as flame retardant. (gasps) Oh! Oh, my God. And it's just sitting on our shelves in grocery stores and people are drinking it. There's a lot. But think about like all of our – most of our products are like that. Oh. Like half of our products in America are banned in the EU. It's scary. We can go on a tangent on this. I'm almost done. Let me just wrap this up. Okay. Basically, if all of this stuff is true, if all of the stories told about Lavinia and John Fisher are lies, I give her full permission to haunt – not that she needs it – To haunt as she pleases, to be angry, to be furious, but then I also, I hope and wish upon her reincarnation as my future child so I can learn more about her past. (laughs) The end. I thought you were going to say to like find peace (laughs) and move on and you're like, to be my child. I want to know more. To be birthed. The thigh crusher coming out of your thighs. Ooh. There we go. Reborn again. Yeah. Then we can finally have that face off, the thigh crusher versus the original thigh crusher in WWE. <laughs> Me versus your child. My baby. No chance. My, my baby child at, at uh, six months old, she will be crushing thighs. Or I guess she will be <laughs> thigh crusher. She could crush thighs too if she wants, but. Babies do have thunder thighs. Yeah, oh, like those big chonky. old baby rolls. Mm, so cute. Oh. My favorite kind of roll. Oh, yeah. Me too. It's so weird that like human reactions to cute things is to like, you want to bite them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, nibble those little chunky thighs <laughs> and those little tiny toes. Those little corner oh, on the cob niblets. Cute. Oh, 
So cute. So cute. Love babies. And that's the story of Lavinia Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sabrina, I learned so much from you. Isn't she such a fascinating This is a lot more case? information. Yeah. Well, because I'd only learned, obviously, like the version that they tell in yeah. the jail and like it's truncated the because scary. You're, yeah. You're hearing so many other stories too. Exactly. Wow. That's super fascinating. I feel, I feel, well, I feel conflicted because part of me wants to feel really bad for them. I but know. then I'm also like, but what if they did do these things? Right. And then I'm feeling bad for, like, I don't know. I'm like floating somewhere in the middle because we don't know the actual truth. And so I don't know how I should yeah. feel. Yeah. I agree. I felt that way the whole time I was researching and writing this because it's horrific if they did what they did. It's all horrific if they didn't do what they did in just a different way. Right. Altogether, a bad, sad story. Yes. yes. And their ghosts. Just so much crime. Yeah. I didn't read much about John's ghost, but Lavinia's spirit is said to be lurking in Charleston. Yeah. And when I was in the jail, I believe she might have been the only female that was kept on that floor, oh. on that level. If I'm remembering correctly, there was a women-only floor. It was like the top floor. And so like pregnant inmates and other women mm. were kept up there. But I think because of her crimes and also maybe somehow because she was as a couple convicted with her husband, right. she was kept in another in another floor, which is scary for her. All oh, men. 100%. Yeah. I don't, it, I don't even want to go down the thought process right. of what happened. But and yeah. Mm. So sad. So, so sad. Man, any dr- any no, direction man. the story actually went in, it's it's sad. It's sad too because I feel like there's so there's so much mystery. Like now when a crime happens, there's a much larger chance that there will be justice or at least that there will be like an idea of what happened mm-hmm. or evidence of what happens to your loved one. Like there's still so many people that go missing without a trace yeah. and that's horrifying and so sad. But like that was – I feel like that was just – Another day in the neighborhood back then. The wild, wild like, you west. You have no answers. The wild, the wild west. Even though Charleston is not so the west wild. whatsoever, but it's still like that. But when we were yeah. in Austin, Texas, they were talking about what the wild, wild west entailed and, and yeah. how long – it was just crazy to me that what they were talking about like basically the mid-1800s and, and it was like still the wild yeah. west. <laughs> what? Yeah. I always just think of it as like, oh, yeah, back in the 1400s. <laughs> I just always think of everything so far long ago, and it's crazy to think that really atrocious things happened. happened. very recently. And continue People today. are still alive. Yeah. Yes, continue today. Yes. And the things we learn in history books that were like, oh, that could never happen. Still, still happening. happening. And there are people that are like 60, 70 years old that, that lived that that we're reading in history books. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm pumped about mine. Okay. Because one of the first episodes we ever did – you covered Zona Heister shoe. Yes, Heister shoe, and she solved her. Mo- mer- Whoa! I'm already so excited <laughs> that I'm like tongue tied. I'm like my brain is going way far ahead of yeah, my mouth. Yeah, I love that feeling. But she solved her own murder from beyond yep. the grave, and so I was like, I need to find another version <gasps> of of like this happening in the paranormal world. You did. You and did. I, you found I did. it. Yes. This and is I actually the best. am shocked. I can't believe that we didn't know about this. So Unsolved Mysteries actually did an episode on this case. It was like way back when, one of their first ones. And it's one of the few that they did that was actually a solved case. But it was just so fascinating that they still covered it on Unsolved Mysteries. So I'm going to tell you the case of Teresita Bassa, a woman who solved her murder from the grave. It is the coolest topic ever. 
And could, we all wish that we could do that, right? Yes. Like, I mean, I, hopefully we don't get murdered. Right. But, but like have the capability yeah. of helping out when if something horrible happens right. to you. Wow. And just get justice. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what Tara Cita freaking got, man. So backstory on her. Let's go in chronological order. You already know the ending, but it's still a really fascinating story. So Teresita, she was born in the Philippines in 1929, and she moved to America in the 60s. And originally, she moved to the States because she wanted to study music, and she's got this really big love of music. And so she was quite musical, but she did eventually end up with a career as a respiratory therapist, and she worked at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. And this is 1960s, you said? Yes. Well, she moved to America in the 60s. Okay. Yep. And so this is between the 60s and 70s that she lived in Chicago. So kind of recent. Totally. Wow. Yeah. This is, yeah. Zona Easter Shoe was like, what, 1800s? the 1800s yeah. or something? Yeah. No, this is super. Wow. This is, I mean, our, a lot of people were, that we know were alive at this point. So, oh, I should ask my parents if they remember this happening. I'm sure it was like a big news case. Yeah. Maybe not. I assume it is because I'm like, this is fascinating. <laughs> but it's amazing. So Teresita, she lived a pretty normal life, mostly uncomplicated life. She was pretty quiet. She was said to be very, very kind. And she had a boyfriend at the time who she sometimes got into arguments with, but like nothing really that would have been surprising. It was just kind of like a, a normal every once in a while couple fight. Yeah. I get in tiffs and so, with Nick. It's not yeah, normal. exactly. Like it wasn't, yeah, it, there was no reason essentially for like them to think that he murdered her okay. is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So she was a trained musician. She was a member of the Philippine aristocracy, and she loved to travel around the world. She was just really enjoying her life. She was a part of her community. She had friends at work. She was just an easy person to be around. And so it shocked everyone who knew her when on February 21st, 1977, at 9 p.m., her body was found murdered. She was 47 years old. A fire had started in her apartment earlier that night, and someone in the apartment complex smelled smoke, and so they called maintenance and was like, hey, there's something's going on in the building. I smell smoke. And so maintenance shows up. They follow the smell essentially to her apartment, and this is at 840. Mm -hmm. And at 840, they see that there's a fire, and they call 911. And when the fire department shows up, they find Teresita inside. It's now 9 p.m. She was naked. Ugh. She was placed under a burning mattress, <gasps> and she had a butcher knife in her chest. So whoever did this was trying to burn the place down to cover up evidence yeah, and her body. Absolutely. An attempt to cover up oh a crime. Oh, my gosh. 100%. Oof. But it's like, why was she killed? What was the motive? Who was so this many person? Questions. Was it random? Yeah. Was it someone who knew her? Yeah, exactly. And so because she was nude, too, the police essentially was like, oh, this this looks like a sex crime. Right. And so initially, that's what they that they thought may have happened. But the autopsy showed no signs of sexual assault. And the police investigators also could find very little physical evidence in the apartment because the perpetrator, the murderer, Fire. basically, yeah, did what – I mean, not what he should have done, but like what, what people do to get rid of yeah. evidence successfully, which is fire. Jeez. Kind of like in your story, Lavinia and John Fisher's house burning down, like gone are the records yeah. and half of the stuff that they own. So the police, they didn't really find much. And so they're pretty stumped. And so they're looking at her call log and she had received a call from a friend that night around 7, 10 p.m. And then she received another call at 730 and that call lasted about 20 minutes. 
So they were like, all right, we know that she was alive at that point. So she must have been murdered sometime between 7.50 and 8.40 p.m. That's a very short window. 50 minute window. Yeah. Yes. And the people who knew her were really shocked and they couldn't really offer up much advice to the police. They like didn't really know what direction to point them in. So the police are obviously interviewing her friends, her family, her coworkers. And surprisingly, they did find a couple people who had grudges against her. And I couldn't really, I I didn't find out like why or or read what those were. But still, it wasn't murder level. Like generally she was a she was a good person and and a happy person, and she had a lot of friends. So pe- people and and the police are like, maybe this was random. And then they find in the debris, so very little evidence, but they do come up with one clue, and it's this note that says, "Get theater tickets for AS." Oh, but they didn't know what that meant. Was AS a show? A was it a person? Was it a person that they're getting tickets for? Yeah. Like, is it someone that she knows? No one really seemed to know. So they keep looking for clues. They keep looking for suspects. And at one point, her her boyfriend was obviously considered a suspect because mm-hmm. they always end up doing that. But it was dropped. Officers left stumped. But then there's a break in the case. Oh for a woman named Remy Chua, also originally from the Philippines, and a nurse at the same hospital and actually knew Teresita, she had been haunted <gasps> by Teresita ever since her murder. Oh, so for five months, this is five months after the case, basically went cold yeah. almost immediately. But for five months following Teresita's murder, Remy began to have visions and dreams of Teresita. Oh my gosh. And Remy told her husband, Joe, and Joe also, I believe, worked at the hospital. He was a doctor. She told her husband, Joe, that this woman was appearing, that Teresita was appearing, kept begging her to go to the police and tell her, tell them what happened to her. And what a strange place to be in because, I mean, we've talked about this before, like, it's hard to know what to do with that information and also hard to know if anyone's going to take you seriously. Yeah, it's very awkward. And if you don't have all the information yeah. and enough, like, evidence and clues, it's also intimidating to think of go Because what are you supposed to say? Like, hi, I'm seeing the ghost and she said she was murdered. Right. Like, they already know yes. this. So, yeah, it was a tough place to be in. And then one night, Remy, she takes a nap. And Joe, her husband, he's awake in the home. And then Remy, who is sleeping, suddenly starts talking. But it's another voice that's coming through her. I have chills. I know. I just got chills too. (laughs) It was Teresita. Oh, my God. And Teresita said that her killer's name was Alan Showery. A-S. A-S. Chills again. Oh, my God. Chills again. And speaking through Remy said that Alan worked at the hospital. And he broke into her home and he killed her. So she told Joe that he needed to go to the police with this information. And then she disappears. Her spirit leaves Remy's body. Remy continues her nap. When she wakes up, Joe asks her what she remembers. And to Remy, she was just napping. She doesn't remember, like, essentially being momentarily possessed by Teresita's. Well, this is so fascinating because clearly Remy is very open. And Mm -hmm. But there was a limit to what Teresita could tell her in the dreamscape. But when Remy was sleeping, Teresita was like, ah, I can use her to actually get my words out, like everything out. Right. And they also had this connection. Like they they basically had like the same or or very similar jobs, worked at the same hospital, were both from the Philippines. Like they clearly had this this connection where out of everybody at the hospital – Teresita chose to go through Remy. And and like you said, like maybe Remy just already was very open. open. I always think of like you when your friend in 
high school passed away or middle school. Oh, and yeah. Middle while school. you were friends with him, it wasn't necessarily like an obvious thing that he would go to you. But because you're open, he went to you in your dreams. Right. Yeah, there were a hundred people in yeah. front of me that he could have gone yeah. to. Oh my gosh, this is so interesting. Yeah. So Remy wakes up. She does not know what happened and Joe tells her. But he decides to ignore what happened. He doesn't really want to go to the police because he's like, what am, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. Like, this is so awkward. Like, the, I feel so uncomfortable oh with this information. And so Teresita, her spirit, frustrated that her efforts from beyond the grave are not working, decides to once more, a few weeks later, enter Remy's body oh my and speak gosh. through Remy. So she comes through again and she asks Joe why he hasn't gone to the police. And Joe's like, uh, because you gave me a name and there's no evidence. What is anyone going to do with that? Like, I just, I feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, what do I, what do I do? I can't just name this like random guy. I don't know. And granted to Joe's, to Joe's point, he's not on the police force. He probably has no idea there's a note that yeah. says AS on right. it. So he just thinks some random guy is getting pointed at and he doesn't really know what to do with it. So Teresita was like, no evidence, no evidence. Alan took my jewelry after <gasps> murdering me and gave it to his freaking girlfriend as a gift. Oh my gosh. And so Joe's like, oh shit, that was a pretty important piece of information. Whoa. Oh my gosh. And so then Teresita leaves Remy's body again. Joe tells Remy and Remy's like, Wow, Joe, we got to call the police. Yeah. So she calls the police and she says, me and my husband have information on Teresita Bass's murder. And the detectives are like, what the fuck? Okay, maybe we should listen to this couple yeah. who's telling us that they've ghost story information. They wanted to be open. So they do set up a meeting with Remy and Joe. And Joe, the first thing he says is he asks the detectives if they believe in the paranormal, to which they say, we have open minds. Right. And I, we've heard stories where, like, the police in certain cases do sometimes consider talking to mediums. And while they don't use right. that as, you know, hard evidence and it doesn't really stand up in court. I sent you a TikTok about yeah. a really famous medium who's, like, consulted right. all the time on missing people cases. But if it helps them find evidence that is hard evidence, like the jewelry thing, then why not? Right. Exactly. You can blend the two yeah, together. You can help. Everyone can help yeah. each other and be on the same team yes. here. So – they went in with an open mind. They already heard the AS Alan Shari connection. Yeah. And so they're like, hmm, you know, there's potential here. Things could be making sense. So they wanted to take the evidence seriously, even though it felt a little bit silly to right. them to consider a spirit possession essentially as the evidence. Uh -huh. So they now have the name, Alan Shari, and they run a background check on him. And his home address is really close to Teresita's. Oh, my gosh. So then they start interviewing the coworkers again, asking not about Teresita, but about Alan. And one of them confirms that Alan was planning to help Teresita fix her TV that night, that they heard Teresita and Alan talking about that. And it turns oh out that Alan did know Teresita, was going to help fix the TV, and... Alan also had this reputation of harassing many of the Filipino nurses at the hospital. Oh, my gosh. So a lot of people did not like him. And he was kind of like, you know, he was really bothering the women and the Filipino women yeah. there. And Teresita is a Filipino woman. Yeah. So Detective Stachula and Detective Lee, they're the two that are on the case. They bring Alan in for questioning. And Alan says, yes, that he was in her apartment to repair a TV. 
but he didn't have the right tools needed at the time. So he went back to his apartment and just called it a night because he didn't, he didn't have what was needed. He couldn't fix the TV. So Detective Statula is like, hmm, I feel like this is like the best alibi. I don't really believe this guy. So he starts to believe more and more the story from Teresita's spirit, which I, you know, credit to him because as a cop and as a cop in Chicago, I'm sure it was pretty hard to bring himself to, to like put a lot of faith in this story and defend it against his colleagues too, because even the newspapers at the time were kind of mocking the investigation right. and, and this happening and making jokes about like flying paper clips and a haunted police station uh. and coworkers getting possessed. And so like there was some, some mimicry yeah. happening. And so I'm glad that they, they did take they kept it seriously. Going. They were like, this is, and also, right. especially if it was like kind of heading towards becoming a cold case and this is the first lead and they're finally putting things together, I'm glad that they didn't let the news articles or outside perspective change their right. course. Right. Yeah. And good thing because Detective Statula, he decides to contact Alan's girlfriend because he's like, okay, eee. Alan says he went back home, but Teresita's spirit is saying that Alan has yeah. some of her her jewelry. So he contacts Alan's girlfriend and he says, hey, can you tell me if your boyfriend Alan has gifted you any jewelry recently? And she says, yeah, for Christmas he gave me a pearl cocktail ring and a jade pendant. And then she agrees to bring it in. Like once being told essentially what what they think might have happened, she agrees to bring it in and let Teresita's friends and family inspect it. And unsurprisingly, it was Teresita's. First of all, how dumb of Alan. Second of all, how traumatic for Alan's girlfriend. Oh. I hope I hope to God they didn't live together Ugh, because so I feel horrible. like that's even worse to get the call and be like, oh, my God, I'm I'm sleeping next to a murderer. Yeah. But even then, they know where you live. Like you – what do you do oh my in gosh. that case? In that in that scenario, it's like I, I feel like I would be so torn because I'd be so scared yeah. of this person. But I wouldn't want to to act abruptly to a point that they, they like might they be on edge. Yeah. Right. And either hurt me or – or run and right. are like on the run and and don't get caught. Not to mention the psychological loops your brain is like jumping through because it's a person that you who knows how you know far along they were in their relationship or how serious they were, but you you've spent time with this person like significant mm-hmm. enough that you're in a relationship. You thought that they were one person, and now you're starting to learn they're someone else. It's probably really hard to put those two versions of a person that you know together, and there's probably some. There's a version of the story where she never, you know, worked with the police that she was like, you don't right. know what you're talking about. I know Alan. He's a great guy. Well, have you ever listened to the tapes from the Craigslist killer? No. Oh, so that happened here in Boston. Like the Sheridan Hotel that's connected to the Prue is where he oh, gosh. M- murdered people. Where do you listen to those tapes? But I think there's a podcast about it. Okay. You can probably find them easily on YouTube. But I listened to it. But essentially, he was engaged or or like had a girlfriend and the police called her in and essentially told her what happened. And you can hear in the interview that she was very much like, no, that's not him. That would never happen. And then she slowly starts to realize and the fear comes up. And then she's like, I, I don't want to go home. Can you help oh like gosh. take me to the airport? I want to fly home to my parents. Oh. And they like assisted helping her. But like you you hear yeah. it live. Her like go through the process of being like, oh, that can't so be sad. him. Them presenting more information and her being like, Holy shit. I mean, it's the same with this like, is any real. person who, by the end of like a serial killer story, Ted Bundy, Golden State Killer, like all of them were married or had girlfriends. BTK. BTK. Had a whole family. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
shivers, sends shivers down my spine thinking that that some people truly can live a yeah. double life with no with no with remorse, a regular family, no remorse, and a, and a family not not picking up on anything, Ugh. like a yeah. true sociopath. Awful, just scary, terrifying, and awful. Well, Alan wasn't that that smart. Yeah. <laughs> so so Teresita's jewelry it's discovered to be given to his girlfriend. And so Detective Statula brings Alan back in, and I'm assuming Detective Lee, too, who was on the case, and says, Alan, look, we have the jewelry that you gifted your girlfriend, and it's been confirmed that it was Teresita's. So now Alan is like, oh, my God, yes, I did kill her. Just confesses immediately. Uh, That delivery, Corinne. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. Yes, I did. I did it have cereal me. for breakfast, and I did kill her. And I did kill her. That's kind of what I imagined because all the articles were like, "Yeah." And then he immediately he was got he got caught. Yeah, he got caught. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? So he he confesses, and he said that once he left her apartment, he planned to go back and rob her, and he said that he actually had previously run a few errands for her before. So they had this sort of relationship where she would pay him to help her out, run errands, do mm-hmm. things around her house. And she tipped him really well. So he knew she had money. And so he was like, I'm going to, I feel pretty desperate. I don't have a lot of money. She does. I'm going to go rob her. Mm. So he goes back. She lets him in. Obviously she knows him and she has this like version of trust, a yeah. little bit of it. You know, he's helping her out. They work together. Like, People know that he came over to her house that night to fix the TV. Like, of course, like you're not you're not thinking anything. And when she turns her back to lock the door, he attacks her from behind. He chokes her until she stops fighting and she goes limp. He then stabs her with the butcher knife after she's already dead. And he wanted to make it look like a sexual crime to trip up the police. And so after she had passed, he took her clothes off. He dragged a mattress on top of her and he set it on fire. The taking the clothes off is just such like a demeaning extra step to crimes that feels so unnecessary. I don't understand how he goes from saying, I was just planning a a burglary to immediately switching to murder. murder. Yeah, And then – has this like conscious thought about covering it up and making it difficult to trace back to him. Like, I don't believe for one second he didn't plan to murder her. Yeah, no. That seems extreme. Yeah. And also, wouldn't you be really distraught if you have if you had just gone in to like get some money and jewelry and suddenly something came over you and you murdered someone? Like, I would assume you weren't, you wouldn't be of sound mind to like think through all of these steps. Right. And he did it really quickly too. Like, Jeez. think about Ugh, the time that so she got off the phone. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't, I mean, unless she got off the phone because someone was knocking at her door. Like, likely there was uh, like a 20-minute window of time that this probably truly happened in. in. And then he took a step further to like deliberately try to destroy evidence. Like, it's very Mm -hmm. calculated and it's gross. It It is gross. It's awful that people – it's awful that people exist, period. But people like this specifically and that this can happen and that it – Did you say it's awful that people exist, period? period? Yeah, People are awful, but then this type of person specifically is worse. Oh, like all humans? Like, yeah, such humans a bummer that we awful. haven't gone extinct. <laughs> Have we learned By nothing? definition, we are, we are a parasite, yes. but let's enjoy our little parasitic lives. Let's be kind yeah. and give back to the earth. Try to make it mutualistic yeah. if you can, and don't murder people. So he said that he did all of this stuff, and so obviously he's arrested for Teresita's mm-hmm. murder. 
so Teresita, you know, she finally gets her murderer caught. He confessed. But then he states that, in fact, he is innocent. What? So the police... Yeah, so he's on trial and he says he's innocent. He says that the police fed him information, that they made him confess, that they like coerced him to confess essentially, or or like threatened him and his pregnant girlfriend apparently. And so he was really scared. So he felt like he had to confess mm-hmm. and they did plant enough information that he like knew enough to to essentially like, confess to the crime and give and what they what needed happened. for a testimony. Yeah. Yes. So the defense also stated that Remy likely made this all up because Alan had prank called her the day before her first division of Teresita and that it was likely that after Remy had actually – so around this time, she did get fired from her job at the hospital. So they were thinking that like it was her kind of losing it and being really frustrated with the the – like what's the word? Not that like annoyance was worse than that. The like he's he's not stalking her, but he's like um harassing, harassing her. Yes, there you go. Harassing. Like she's she's sick of the harassment from Alan. Well, also, so she, I'm sorry, how immature and gross on top of it that he is prank calling this woman who's who lost her job. Right. Yeah. And he's also apparently like talking shit on her no. at work. And he's he's an orderly, so like I don't if anything that's I don't more know of a how character witness to how he's a bad person right yeah so so the the defense claimed that she was trying to get revenge basically by like pinning teresita's murder on him and faking a possession so there is a mistrial oh it actually becomes a mistrial it's a mistrial even with the jewelry oh my gosh Mm -hmm. yep okay but here's here's what's weird so he says he's innocent all this other information comes out or like it's part of his defense Uh There's a mistrial. He gets a new date or he's like awaiting his his new date yeah. for a trial. And then oddly enough, before his new trial, pleads guilty. Says, actually, I'm guilty. Why? Did, so weird. Did Teresita haunt him? Well, so no oh, one knows. Oh, oh. But people are th- – yeah, it's a theory that maybe she visited him and scared him into confessing into to his crimes. I hope he was haunted by her. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel like Teresita's spirit was very powerful. I am sure she did. Yeah. Have a, have a moment with him. So Alan, he goes to jail only for 14 years and is released on parole in 1983. So Teresita, she never got to live the rest of her life because that was taken from her. And Alan's trial for her murder is famously known now as the voice from beyond the grave trial because she was a big yeah. part of the testimony and she was the reason that they even got a step closer to finding the murderer and truly found, well, we think, the murderer. And so this is how Teresita Baza solved her murder from beyond the grave. Wow. I'm I'm such a mix of emotions. Like I know. It's I'm so glad that Teresita was able to help solve her murder because it, it sounds like without her, Alan probably would have gotten away with it. Like the the police were at a dead end. Oh, one hundred. They never would have known about the jewelry. It was like a cold case yeah. for for like five months. Yeah. Like it, it seemed like there were no other leads for them. And so I'm grateful for that part of it. But then the poor woman was so wrongfully murdered and attacked by someone she thought she trusted who unbeknownst to her was just this awful, terrible, harassing guy. Right. It makes me mad. Right. Like I feel like with every – not even – I was going to say, I feel like with every case, like there's like a small chance that the person that was on trial didn't do it. 
and Alan's defense put up all of these like possibilities, yeah. but I feel like that, like the, ch- what are the chances that all of that went against him and that all of that happened? He had the jewelry. Yeah. He had the jewelry. That to me is case closed. And I know that maybe that's naive because there's always so many things that go into trials and all of that. So I know that, but yeah. And like he could have stolen it a different yeah. time that he did errands for her and yeah. Lottie Dog, but like it just makes so much sense. Yes. This is reminding me of the show The Night of. Oh, yeah. You watched that, uh-huh. right? I actually only got two episodes in because I was so stressed for him. So I haven't finished. I think it's going to be one of those shows where I watch like one episode every six months because I just can't <laughs> take like the stress of watching this guy like find himself as a suspect in what seems to be, at least where yeah. I am in the show, a murder that he had not. Wait, you to still haven't with. finished it? No, I've watched two <laughs> episodes over the past year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I won't ruin anything. But yes, it Maybe is a I'll, stressful okay, I'll show. I'll watch it on the plane tomorrow. I'll download it and I'll I'll get through it on the plane. Okay. It is stressful. It's kind of like what you talk about a lot with uh, narratives that are told from the POV of an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And it disorients you as a viewer too. And it's hard to follow and you don't know who to trust and you, you, you sympathize and empathize with the character, but then you're going on this journey with them and you're, yeah, it's, it's you're all over all the place. place. Oh, yeah. I'm... I love this story for the empowerment of Teresita and the fact that she was able to get justice, but I hate the story because she had to be in that position at all. Right. I know. It's really sad. And it just makes me wonder like how many how many dreams or moments did did other people experience maybe with someone that they did not know, like some weird spirit telling them of their murder and what if it truly is common someone that's yeah. like trying to to connect like maybe we're all not as lucky as remy to to know who the person is right. in our dream and to know what happened to them and i mean remy's experience happened multiple times and then teresita went and like used her voice like you know spoke through yeah her as well so that's just so many elements of attempting to solve mm-hmm. it that I imagine it's very hard for a spirit to actually get the energy to do that. Right. It's making me think of all of those times where we've talked about like, what if some, what if you're meeting your own past life in a dream or something like that? Like, what if it wasn't like, what if it, what if what you were seeing was a spirit trying to give you clues to their own murder in (laughs) present time? Yeah, that's a hard thing to think about. I want to solve crimes. I know you do. Psychic abilities. <laughs> it's my dream. Yeah, we have a lot of dreams. It would be nice to be able like to use your skills in mediumship to help solve murders. But then you yeah. probably as as the medium receive so much hate and disbelief right. and yeah, that just seems like a tough place to be in. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah. You have to be really strong and like really believe yeah. in yourself and what you're doing to be able to do yeah. that. Because you're right. There's there's more people likely giving you trouble and like hating on you than there are people in support Yeah, when it's something like that. But I hope that that narrative is shifting. Like I hope that people- We're making, I, we're shifting Maybe it. it's because- We are helping shift that narrative. Trust your mediums. We? Trust your gut. Trust, trust your, your pets, mediums. Trust your mediums. Trust your mediums. I was going to say, I feel like the world is way more open to it now, but then I realized that there's algorithms and so <laughs> probably the videos and the people that I get served, like obviously have the same interest to it. me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, no, I see the world changing, <laughs> but it's like, no, it's an algorithm. 
Wow. I mean, maybe it is. What a fascinating. I'll be be glass half full right now. Yeah. Well, what a fascinating story. And both of these stories were, we should probably record a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, maybe after we record this, just so Aiden can put it in. Oh, yep. Yeah. We should. We'll do that. Absolutely. Yes. I love these stories. They're super fascinating and it's a very interesting topic and I'm glad we covered it. Okay. So I found a story from the Charleston jail. (gasps) Yes. So while there's no way to confirm if it was Lavinia Fisher, I was like, let's connect the story to the listener story. Okay. This is called The Ghost That Moved Into My Bathroom from our listener, Rachel. Wow. I'm already like, oh my God. Hi, gorgeous ghostesses. I love your podcast and listen to it while I'm alone at work to feel like someone else is in the studio with me. Sometimes my own shadow scares me, but it won't stop me from listening. I am from Charleston, South Carolina, and the whole city is pretty haunted. I've been on a ton of ghost tours and one pretty cool paranormal investigation in some creepy places. Some ghosts have followed me home in the past and haven't done harm, but one really targeted me and my sister. She and I came back from a fun tour of the old Charleston jail, operational from 1802 to 1939, and it held some pretty nasty people. We filled our parents in on what happened, and we'd been there quite a few times, but love going back to learn new stuff and have new scary experiences. It was the usual stuff that night, hair pulling, feeling of being poked, unexplained noises, orbs, and shadow people in pictures, etc. But a few days later, while my sister was showering, she heard the door open and the sink faucet turn on. She thought it was me, so she started talking to who she thought was me. But when I, in quotes, didn't respond, she opened the shower curtain to see what was up and no one was there. The faucet was turned off and the door was closed. She's maybe the most chill person I know, so she just brushed it off, thinking she imagined it. But then things picked up. The shower curtain would move like someone was pushing their hand into it on the other side. Oh, that's so terrifying. Ooh, ooh. Things would throw themselves off of the counter and you would constantly feel like you weren't alone and were being watched. My sis and I thought we'd hear the other one come into the bathroom, but then no one would be there when we checked. These things went on for a while, like like a few months, and things only happened in the bathroom, which is a really weird place to haunt if you ask me. Ew. One day I was washing my face at the sink. I stood up, dried my face, and as soon as I looked in the mirror, the light bulbs above the sink exploded with a really loud bang. Glass went everywhere. Thankfully, nothing hit me, but I was terrified, so I ran to my mom, who has absolutely no fear when it comes to ghosts and creepy things. We prayed over the bathroom, told whatever it was that it had no power here and that it was not welcome, and to GTFO. After that, nothing happened in the bathroom, and from then on, we started wearing cross necklaces or rings whenever we went to haunted places or took ghost tours. Side note, my sister and I work at the same place and we're the only ones that experience things like being poked, hearing our names being whispered, weird things with the lights, and seeing glimpses of shadow people. I'm not sure if she and I are the haunted ones or just the ones more open to spooky things. The property used to be a part of a huge plantation back in the day, so it's possible it isn't just us. My best friend and I are planning to do another paranormal investigation at the old Charleston jail in the next month. So if we catch anything, I'll send it y'all's way. Here are some pictures my mom took there a couple months ago. They were taken down an empty hallway in the dark and everyone was behind her. Enjoy. Thanks for doing what you do. See you on the other side, Rachel. And in this picture, (gasps) there's a person. There's a person. Wait, what the fuck? This is, I I literally thought there was actually some, like, I was like, what am I looking at? There's someone from the tour in front of her. Yeah. 
But like, no, who is this? It's like legs. And they kind of look more present day E. And then why is just that know, part of them lit outfit. up? It's really strange. Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. It, it is almost really feels weird. like they're holding a flashlight like this. But right. then and the, like the looking beam down. of light should, had, should spread further out in the bottom. We'll post this for people to look at. But the light kind of, it's strange. It is. And I'm, I don't really know what to make of it. Cause like what, what you said too, like it does look like a modern day outfit. They kind of look like they're wearing Converse. Yeah. Okay. What if it's this? What if, okay. Only because I'm thinking of like the way that the shape is like this crescent shape mm-hmm. of like lit up and then complete darkness all around it. It almost reminds me of like a cat eye. What if this picture is through <laughs> It's like what the spirit is seeing oh. back at the group. So like what if this is someone who is actually behind her? What a unique but like a unique take, Corinne. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm super creative. You are. <laughs> Why do we both sound like Alexis? Because we freaking love we her. A little bit of Alexis. But it is interesting. That, that I mean, yeah. Or I thought where you were going with that is perhaps someone in the past was on a ghost tour and something really terrifying happened to them in that moment that there's like a residual haunting from the energy of what happened in that at that time. So oh. it's not actually a ghost. <gasps> it's like a residual energy yeah. left behind. So creepy. It's uh, also, I can't like... Good for Rachel, for her and her friend just continuing to go back and her and her sister continuing to go back. Because it is like she said, that you're basically bound to have something. Sabrina, you and I have to go. Because like you I'm will scared, have an experience. Yeah. Something will happen. It does sound like that. But the fact that it so followed So I think it's them cool home. that they keep going. The the hand pushing on Ooh. the curtain. I would never – I would shower without a curtain. I'd be like – Putting towels down on the ground. Yeah, too, bad. too bad. There, there's no way. Or find a different bathroom. How do you recover I would from never that? Shower at home. And the way that the lights just blew out and exploded. We talk about dangerous, mm-hmm. first of all, but then two, talk about powerful. Whatever that spirit was, it that seems like a very angry energy burst. Right. I know. And and there is a lot of darkness there too. Yeah. And there is. Remember, I was saying it. It reminded us a lot of when we had talked about Waverly Hills Sanatorium and the Creeper, but. At the Charleston jail, there's a version of that called the collector that all the spirits run from and hide from. And that thing is like really evil and basically goes and like feeds on the souls that that remain in the jail. So I wonder, you know, if the collector can post up there, what other dark entities and spirits could join in? How about a positive spin, which is different for me. But today things are upside down and backwards. So what if... It's a good spirit who, if we remember talking about the jail, there was no running water. There's no electricity. There are all these things that we in modern life have as like basic like necessities are so fascinating to this spirit. And they were, you know, excited to be able to go home with Rachel and her sister. And we've heard that spirits end up in bathrooms because they like use water. It's a good energy source. And this spirit got excited by a faucet and electricity and was trying to channel oh. energy and accidentally had an outburst and in the lights right. exploded. It reminds me of Survivor when <laughs> one of them gets gifted like a toothbrush or like a bath oh. or something as their reward. And it's just like the best, the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. That's an interesting take. Yeah. I don't know. Here's the thing. We don't know what we it is. We never do. So, But we're glad that Rachel got rid of it. Yeah. yeah, we'll post it on Instagram and everyone else can can weigh Chime in on in. what this photo is and tell their thoughts on yes. 
what's creeping in the Charles old Charleston jail. What isn't creeping in there? That's actually a better question because it feels like yeah. everything. All right. What do you have? Okay. Well, so I wanted to go a little bit more positive because I knew that this was going to be like dark, murderous <laughs> episode, which is tough. Yeah. So I have one that's a little bit better. Oh, a little, a little you. bit like lighthearted compared to what I could have. I think people will appreciate that. <laughs> yes. This is from Lindsay. Hello, ladies. I have two quick stories for you that both happened to me in the last eight months, both being dreams. And just to preface, I'm 29 years old. I'm single and not big on having children. Oh. About six months ago, I had a dream that I was walking down a street along the sidewalk. Out of nowhere, a little girl, probably four or five years old, strolled on up to me, grabbed my hand, and continued walking oh. with me. She had dirty blonde hair and a goofy little bowl cut. Confused, I stared at her and I said, who are you? She confidently and with a matter of fact replied, I'm your daughter. I said, no, you're not. I don't have a daughter. Again, she confidently replied with, yes, I am. A wave of overwhelming love washed over me. And for some reason, I completely accepted that, yes, she must be my daughter. And into the sunset, we walked. When I woke up, I said to myself, damn, if this is what having children feels like, maybe I would like one. Oh. Now for the next dream. This happened this past January. My partner's old friend was tragically murdered in September, and we had just found out by watching the news one evening. He was devastated because he knew her well back in the day, but I had never met her. So one night... I had a dream that I was sitting on a red couch, and sitting across from me was my partner's old friend. Confused, I said to her, I thought you were dead. And she was beaming, excited smile, and replies, nodding, I am! Whoa. I've never had any paranormal experience, so when I woke up, I brushed the whole thing off as just weird, and I went on with my day. But the more that I think about it, the more that I remember her beautiful smile, her excited and happy energy, and I just can't help but think that maybe she just found her way to me somehow. Oh, my gosh. Well, thanks for reading my curious little stories, and I would love to hear your opinions on whether or not you think that there's something paranormal or maybe just some crazy old dreams. Keep up the good work. Your very faithful listener, Lindsay. Listen, Lindsay, we are never going to say they're crazy old dreams because we believe in the paranormal full and wholeheartedly. We are always going to back up everything anyone says and maybe even just create crazy theories because we totally love and believe them. I I feel like before the podcast, too, if someone told me this, I'd be like, I know you think it's a dream, but hear happened. me out. I think you had a paranormal experience. You're open. You're in tune with the other side. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's start with the couch and her partner's old friend that was visiting in the dream. Yes. So my mom recently had a dream or two stories, I guess. My mom recently had a dream about her mom, my grandmother, and her dad and her grandmother, my great-grandmother. And they were all sitting on a couch and they were all there, like the couch thing. And she and her dad were having a very like deep conversation while her mom and grandmother kind of just sat there. But they were like talking. Then I had a dream where I was like sitting on a couch and our friend who passed away like kind of like popped in and was like, hey, I'm just passing through. Like I'm okay. And then like left. But it it's interesting that the 
commonality of this couch. And I feel like oftentimes when I have dreams with that that I believe are paranormal related, there's sitting on a couch or sitting re- like in the communication with the spirits. That's so interesting. So yeah, because Lindsay was sitting on the red couch yeah. and across from her was this woman. Yeah. I wonder too if it was like, it's kind of like the thing, what? It's like the waiting room. <gasps> oh, oh my gosh. We're writing that <sighs> as a children's book. No one take that. The waiting room. 1,000. Pre- I'm writing this down in my notes. I'm oh not losing gosh. this idea, Sabrina. This is it for us. <laughs> Baby witch in the waiting room. It's where it's happening. Wow. Give us a year, everybody. It'll happen. The waiting the room. The waiting room. And it's a common space in our universe, in the astral plane, where living and spirits can meet and communicate. Yes. I just love to, I mean, obviously, f- for someone to, to die can be very traumatic. Yeah. And for someone to die unexpectedly, as in be murdered, is also very traumatic. And I would assume that a lot of spirits and souls have some trouble or confusion around that and understanding yeah. like what happened to them. But I love... I love the thought that this woman was going around and and maybe she was wandering the astral Mm -hmm. plane and Lindsay was chilling on the couch and she knew this woman like knew that it was, you know, her old friend's partner and is so excited when she realizes that Lindsay recognizes her. Like, wait, I thought you were dead. And she's like, I am. Because she's like, oh my God, she knows I can talk to you. Yeah. She recognizes me. Wow. And then this little girl, this daughter, I am, I'm, it, it could be a future child or a past child or a traveling soul. I, I don't know, but I'm really curious if Lindsay ever decides to have children, if she'll recognize this, this daughter. Right. Yeah. It is interesting. Cause it, what is it? Is it an alternate dimension? Is it, oh, that's is it a too. view of past life? Gosh, I can't wait. I want to know. I just want all the answers to the and, universe. Is that so much to ask? Right. I'm also thinking like to the daughter, like if if you were walking with your mom and your mom was like, who are you? Like, wouldn't you think that she was kind of like playfully teasing yeah, you? Yeah. And you're like, I'm your daughter. And you're like, no, you're not. I don't have a daughter. And you're like, yes, yes I am. I am. Yeah. And then you just hold hands and keep yeah. walking. And then it's just like a little silly thing on your evening sunset walk together. Oh like you wouldn't really think much of it, right? Right. It's also interesting. Okay. If this is a premonition of what's to come in the future for Lindsay, it's so interesting how the universe chooses like these specific moments. I'm thinking back to a listener sent us something about like she had seen her partner before like in a dream or like the partner's mom in a dream before. I don't know. Or maybe. Yes. Yes. Anyway. I remember. I know what you're talking like, about. It's interesting that that's the specific image shown and it's so short and it's so seemingly random and then it happens mm. in real life and it's like, oh my gosh. And it all clicks. Wait, is this going to be one of those? What's the What's the movie? Not Inception, but what's the Interstellar? Oh, yeah. I just think of like the bookshelf mm-hmm, that moment. moment. Yeah. And like what if this does happen where Lindsay in the future is walking down the road on the ah. sidewalk with her daughter into the sunset and playfully teases her and says, who are you? And then after she says the whole thing and has the interaction, she realizes it's her dream from like 10 years, Oh, my gosh. Years ago. I can't wait. Ooh. Wow. I love that. Wow. Thank you for bringing this one, Lindsay, thank you for emailing us this story. And then Corinne, thank you for choosing it. It was a great way to end the episode. Yeah, a positive yeah. connection to our otherwise Dark darker topic. topic. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you to everyone who joined us on this journey. Mm-hmm. And if you have any ghost stories, alien stories, cryptid stories, anything strange and unusual. Any experiences. At all. 
please email them to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our new Patreon changes. Join us. Mm, mm. We are going to be doing, for us, very embarrassing, but probably for you, very fun and funny, uh, live stream for our only phantoms. A uh, very clever name that Corinne came up with. Uh, in May, where we re-listen to our very first episode of the podcast and react to it uh, with all of you. I'm both excited and dreading it. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm excited to hang out with you and to hang out with, yeah. with all of the people on Patreon, but I'm also like dreading it. Like, cringe, I know. cringe. Our poor intern, uh. Marina, we asked her to listen back to the episode for us to uh, come up with the create, game. So yeah, that there's going to be a game around, that goes along yeah. with it. Oh, poor. So that poor we have Marina. a little distraction. We don't have to just listen yeah, to ourselves. Exactly. Anywho, there's lots of ways to engage with us and interact with us and support us. And we are so freaking excited because we have so many more connections with all of you. And this is this is our year. This is our year. Yeah. To engage, to grow, to write the waiting room. <laughs> and to hopefully do like, you know, maybe live shows again in the, in the near future okay. or something like that. You know? No. I'm putting it out in the right. universe, I'm, and we'll see if it comes back. I'm accepting it. I'm also putting it out there, and we'll tag team this universe project. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, all of you, for listening. Thank you so much to Aiden Manning at Upfire Digital and the entire team. We're really, really grateful for your talents because we need them. And we will see you on the other side. side.